Let me pray for us. Pray for the Spirit of God to fall upon us. Lord Jesus, we desperately need your Spirit to fall upon us today. Holy Spirit, we need you to breathe the breath of life into us, to sanctify and make us holy. We pray that like a rushing wind, you would blow through this room and blow the dust off of our souls. And pray, Jesus, that you would be high and lifted up and glorified today as your spirit leads us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever tried to teach somebody to run more efficient or stronger? It sounds pretty easy, right? But have you ever done it? It's hard. There's a lot of components that go into good running form. The funny thing is, though, most of you and I can watch somebody run, and even if we aren't like a track coach or something like that, we can go, yeah, that's not good, and that's good. So when we watch the Olympics, we're like, unbelievable. Watch those guys run. It's unreal, and we don't have a clue all the components that are really going into that. We have no idea of how much time they put into the alignment of their body, the movement of their arms, the, the, the gait, the whole, everything that's in motion. There's no wasted motion in an Olympic athlete. Then you see us running down the street, and we're... And, uh, and if you've seen me running in Wake Forest, you can go, yeah, not so good. Okay, so that's what it, it's evident to all of us. It's evident to all of us. You know, in the spiritual life of a Christian is much the same. We might not know all the components, but you know when your life or someone else's is in bad shape. It's pretty evident. It's pretty evident. And in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Galatia. And he's basically saying, what happened to your form? In chapter 5, verse 7, he basically just says that. What happened? You were running so well. You were doing so well. What happened? He's basically saying, you're all over the place. Many of you walked in here today hurting, burdened, wobbly, not running well. And if, you, if we were all really honest, our form is bad most of the time. And it leaves us wondering, why is the Christian life seem so hard? We need to be reminded, we have to be reminded today that the Christian life is less about something that we live, but rather about God living through us. In 
In our passage today, Paul helps us see how struggling people, you and I, how we can live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And really understand why we get out of form often. So if you will, if you'll turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, starting with verse 16. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Earlier in the chapter, Paul points the church back to the fact that they have been set free by Christ. He says, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And then in verse 13, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So my question to you today is, how is it important Possible? How is it possible for you to live in the Christian freedom that Paul says is yours in verse 1 and verse 13? Not to turn back to the flesh, to turn back to slavery. How is that possible? My experience does not bode well with that idea. How is it possible? And Paul just says very succinctly, Very simply, but yet profound, you do this by the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it. The Spirit of God, who makes you free from sin, gives you new life and regeneration, can keep you truly free. And we will experience it as we walk with Him in the power of His sanctification. And sanctification is just a big word to mean make holy. God wants to make his people holy. Be holy as I am holy, is what he says. The Holy Spirit is throughout this passage. By name, seven times in the passage. He is our sanctifier in verse 16 and 17. He makes us holy. He opposes us and subdues the flesh. In verse 18, he empowers us to fulfill the law and keeps us from its harsh dominion. And in 22 and 23, he causes the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. 
It's all about the Spirit. It's all about the power of the Spirit giving us the resources to live in the Christian liberty that we have in Christ. We are dependent on the Spirit. So John Stott writes this. True it is, Christ Christ sets us free. But without the continuing, directing, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, our liberty is bound to degenerate into license. Without the continuing, directing, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, our liberty is bound to degenerate degenerate into license. So as we go through this, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the times in which you don't walk in the Spirit and your flesh takes over. What happens? You walk in sin. You turn toward other things. So as we walk through this passage, I want you to think about that. Paul says this in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those of you who are struggling, this is a promise to you and to me. If I walk in the Spirit... I will not. I I mean, the opposite is true. If I don't walk in the Spirit, what am I going to do? I'm going to gratify the desires of the flesh. But if I walk in the Spirit, there's freedom. There's freedom. It's a beautiful promise. It's one of the greatest promises of the Bible. And you should write it on a card and stick it where you can see it. Every single day. And make the choice every single morning to say, if I walk in the Spirit, I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If I walk in the Spirit. And then you have to actually do it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But if that is true, then why do you and I have such a hard time every single day? Why do we have such a hard time? He handles that in the next two verses. And Paul basically tells us we get wobbly and out of sorts in our walk every single day because there's a war going on inside of us. As a Christian, there's no war in somebody who has not given their life to Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no war going on. There's a dictatorship going on. There's only one thing pushing them. But in you and I, there's a war going on. And each side, the flesh and the spirit, has its own desires. Wanting to overwhelm the other one and keep the other one at bay. It's a constant battle. It's a constant one. And it's at the level of desires, not at the level of intellectual decision, but of the core of our motivation. Our desires and our affections and what we want and what we strive for. It's far different than you just going home and making up your mind about something. It's at the core of who we are. What we long for, what we want. That's where the battle is. And those desires fashion like rails where our life will go. 
he begins to describe the flesh and describe the spirit and how they're at odds. And when we think of flesh, we have to be very careful because we think about flesh, meat of the body. That's not what he's talking about. He is strictly pointing out to us that the flesh is our sinful nature. The nature that we have and the nature that we inherit, our fallen sinful state. And Paul says the works of the flesh are evident. They're easy to discern. Just like when we're running like this, everybody can discern them. Everybody sees them. They're very evident. When you're in the flesh, everybody sees. When I'm in the flesh, my boys know it. It's not hidden. It's out there. It may be hidden for a little while, but it will come out. It's public. It's observable. He gives us a list of these things. Okay? It's not a complete list. It's not comprehensive. He ends the list with things and things like these. So the list is long and broad, and these are just broad categories. And he really puts them into four different categories. Sex, religion, society, addictions. Sex, religion, society, and addictions. And those are the four kind of categories that are overwhelming this list right now. And so the first one, in the first few, he says, listen, You want to know how blatant it is, how evident it is? Let's just look at sexuality, immorality, fornication, impurity. So unnatural sexual practices or sensuality, uncontrolled sexuality. Anything, listen, anything that lands outside of a monogamous marriage, one husband, one wife, anything outside of that, bad. Everybody knows it. It's all over the place. You know it, the hurt, the pain, every destruction that that leads to. You've seen it. You know it. It's evident. You get outside of God's design for that and everything falls off the rails. But not only are works of the flesh against others, outward in our sexuality, but They're against God at the core. He says idolatry and sorcery. So sorcery is is engaging with evil powers and evil spirits. That's what he's talking about. And sometimes we do that and we don't even know it. But we walk away and we, we have a taste of it. But idolatry is very, very elusive. For you and I, it happens often. Before you were a Christian, you worshiped things. You worshiped stuff, things you loved. Doesn't mean you go out back with a chainsaw and you make a wooden idol, okay? You, whatever, you know, and you bow down to it. That's not what we're talking about. It's anything that you worship that is not the one true living God. Anything outside of that. You want a good test? What do you get most angry about? What do you get most angry at other people when they get in between you and something else? Whatever that something else is, you should, a red flag should go up. Most of the time when I'm most angry, it's because somebody's messing with an idol of mine. 
and they're messing with my worship of it. Whether that is I worship leisure or I don't want stress in the home or whatever that is, whatever that idol is, I get most angry when somebody messes with it. My youngest son told me the other day, this is so funny, he just started laughing. We are reading, they were reading about the idols um, that the pagan, pagan groups were worshiping around Israel. He's like, he started laughing. And we're like, what, what's going on? He's like, like there's really another God. He's right. There is no other God. Your idols are stupid and funny. Mine are as well. Okay? And so don't worship other things. They're created by the flesh. Most of us, our idol is ourself. We worship us. So be very careful. Be very, very careful. Secondly, he looks at Society and relationships. And he points to enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and divisions. And there's nothing that destroys relationship faster than the flesh. Your selfishness kills relationships. You want to kill your marriage? Be selfish. Be prideful. Be the Pharisee in the house. See how that goes. It kills relationship. You want to kill the relationships in your small group? Do the same. Be jealous. Be angry. It will kill them. And lastly, he talks about drunkenness and and orgies and things of the such. Addictions. The flesh always spirals our lives into the control of something else. Something that we strive and try to cling to that promise pleasure and relief. If you are seeking pleasure and relief from anything other than the one most beautiful God and being in the universe, then you should be careful. Because you're clinging to things that promise pleasure and relief, but will place you in slavery. It will enslave you. The flesh always wants to enslave you. Now, at the end of this list, Paul has a stark and sobering warning to us. If you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty straightforward. Not much to it. Why would you and I not inherit the kingdom of God if we do these things, if we live like this? Here's the reason. Because the definition of the kingdom of God is where God reigns. Where he has sovereign rule. You will not enter the kingdom because your flesh rules you. Where the flesh continually rules, unopposed by the Spirit of God. God is not present. Now, let me say this. What he's talking about is habitual sin, habitual practices that are not repented of. The contrast to that list 
is those times when we have lapses and we truly do repent, that's an evidence of the work of the Spirit. We don't repent on our own. We're way too prideful to confess our sin and to walk away from it. When the Spirit of God falls upon somebody, they repent because they have offended, first and foremost, God. It's an act of the Spirit. And Paul goes on in verses 22 and 23 and he says, This Holy Spirit who renews you and regenerates us, He gives us a new nature and then He remains in us and He dwells in us in order that we might be sanctified. Where the Spirit of God is, there is fruit. I got another list for you. Paul gives us a contrasting list of fruit. And he says, the first three of these, love, joy, and peace, they come from the Spirit. How much love do you have? How much joy do you have? How much peace do you have? Jesus is our love. He is our joy. He is our peace. As the Spirit points to Him, remember the little chart that Larry drew and then walked around the back and and pointed? The Holy Spirit is pointing to the most beautiful thing in the world who should be your love, joy, and peace. And as we have that Godward attitude, as the Spirit points to Him, He draws us In and we have the fruit of learning what it means to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all of our strength. And what does that lead to? That leads to patience and kindness and goodness, the way we love our neighbor. Long-suffering with those who have crushed you is an act of the Spirit. Choosing to be kind even when people are mean, is an act of the Spirit. To be good in word and deed is an act of the Spirit. Anything you do that even smells of goodness is a work of the Spirit in you. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control characterize our personhood and who we are in Christ and exhibits His character through us. So, why do you and I get wobbly then? If these are the fruits of the Spirit, and what's the problem? What's the breakdown? Why is it so hard? I think it's because you read this list like I read it when I first became a Christian. I read this list with a mentor and and a guy that was discipling me in college after I'd become a Christian. And he said, I laughed out loud. Literally, in his office, we're sitting there. I read this passage and I just start laughing. Patient, gentle. (laughs) That's never going to happen. Like, I'm sure God can save me and cleanse me from my drug addiction and, and my fornication, but gentle and patient? Are you kidding me? See, you're reading this list like me. But listen to the wisdom of the man who discipled me and what he responded. He said, Jeff, this is fruit of the Spirit. 
not the works of Jeff. The works of Jeff are represented by the first list. This is the fruit of the Spirit of God. And with God, all things are possible. Many of you look at this list as something that you need to accomplish or achieve. You need to be more loving. You need more joy. You need more peace. You need to go after those things. You need to get the next greatest Christian self-help book and learn how to be more loving and more joyful and more peaceful and kind and gentle. No! You're stapling dead fruit onto a dead tree. You're taking apples and you're walking up and you're taking your staple gun and you're going bap, 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 bap and wondering why it doesn't last. Wondering why you can't become more loving, more joyful, and more peaceful. It's because you're doing it. These aren't works for you to do. Fruit does not grow by stapling it to a tree. Once it's picked, it's in the process of dying. No going back. Can't staple it on there. You're trying to add something to your life that must grow from the work of the Spirit within. It's not your work, it's fruit. Jesus taught the same thing in John 15, 4 and 5 when he said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, the, he is the one who bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, before you experienced the salvation in Christ and were filled supernaturally by the Spirit, your flesh ruled unopposed. But after the Spirit indwells you, ball game's different, everything's different, life is different. You have resources you never imagined. Now you're being sanctified. You are sanctified and you are being sanctified. You're holy and you're being made holy. The Spirit longs to show us Christ and to conform us into His image and ultimately... That is what every Christian desires, but the, fly, the flesh fights this, and it continually fights it, keeping you from doing the things you want to do. And if you want a better exposition on that, even more full, go to Romans 7 and read that this afternoon. But don't stop at Romans 7. Keep reading to Romans 8. You'll be depressed after Romans 7, so keep reading. You haven't even got to the victorious part yet. But if you want to know and understand what's going on in this fight, between indwelling sin in you and the Spirit of God, read Romans 7. Living by the Spirit is what we desire most deeply. So how in the world do we walk this out? What are some practical things that you and I need to be focused on in order to walk in the Spirit and to live in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit? Two things. You have to crucify the flesh and you have to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Those are the two things. 
Two things. So let's talk about that. Verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let me show you something. Let me draw your attention to something. Who has crucified the flesh? He's not saying the same thing that he said in Galatians 2.20. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's telling us that our union with Christ, we died with Christ because of our union with Christ, and therefore we're made alive with him. But he's saying something a little bit different. Now, Galatians 2.20 is what enables this to happen. But he's saying to the church, you have. You have crucified the flesh. And it's a great picture. It's amazing. So what does it mean? It's the same thing that Jesus said in Mark 8, 34. When he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Taking up the cross was Jesus' favorite way of pointing out self-denial. And Theologian John Stott says this. Now Paul takes the metaphor to its logical conclusion. Every follower of Christ must not only take up his cross and walk with it, but see to it that the execution actually takes place. Crucifixion is a great picture for how we as Christians are to handle our flesh Continuous in this continuous battle, this continuous war. And the first thing is you have got to be ruthless with your flesh. You have to be. Your flesh is nothing to be admired or coddled or loved on. It's not a pet. It's far more evil than you can ever imagine. Sin is, in the sight of God, is to be abhorred and mercilessly put to death. It's to be crucified. But when we play on this image a little bit, we also understand that the rejection of the old self and the, and the, the flesh has to be a painful and decisive act. There's much... There is much work to be done. We're empowered by the Spirit, but you have to have a resolve. Because crucifixion is a painful and gradual death. That's why the people around the cross when Jesus died were so amazed that he died so fast. Because most of the time, what, the thief, what happened with the thief was they would hammer him to the, nail him to the cross and they would leave him there. To die a good, slow, painful, long, gradual death. When you came to Christ and you came to faith in Him, you repented of your sins and you crucified everything that you knew was wrong. 
Everything that the Spirit of God laid upon your heart, you confessed it, you repented of it, you nailed it to the cross with Christ. We took our old natures, our self-centeredness with its sinful passions and desires, and we also placed them on the cross and walked away from them to live in newness of life. Paul's telling us, if you have crucified the flesh, then leave it there to die. Don't bring it back down. And as one of your pastors, I'm imploring you, nail it to the cross and leave it there to die. If you want to live by the Spirit, you want to be led by the Spirit, you want to walk in the Spirit, you want to be changed, radically transformed into the nature of Christ, you cannot take it down off the cross. You have to walk away from it and let it die. That's what repentance is. It's a confession of your sin. It's a turning from it and walking the other direction to let it die. The greatest daily struggles that you and I encounter is when we take out the claw hammer and we start pulling out the nails of the flesh on the cross and we let it down. And we pat it on the back and we coddle it. And we don't let it die. And we choose to do that. Leave it there. Let it die. Let it die. And whatever the Spirit of God is prompting you with at this very moment, do not turn away from it. Because I guarantee you, Somewhere in that list of flesh and somewhere in the last few minutes you've seen something. Listen, I've been wallowing in it all week. I get it. And the easiest thing to do right now is to pocket it. It's too painful, too hard, don't want to do it. Nope. Or I love that little fleshy thing. And you want to coddle it like a little lap dog. The secret to holiness lies in the degree, please listen to this, the secret of holiness lies in the degree and decisiveness of our repentance. The degree and the decisiveness of our repentance. If you're caught in a persistent sin, then either you've not really truly repented of it or you've not remained, you've not protected you've not maintained your repentance you've not continued to walk in the other direction away from it repentance means to confess seek forgiveness turn away let it die and there is no better day than today to repent and believe that Christ came and died on the cross for you So that that flesh, all those reasons you deserve death and punishment, he took them all so that you could go free. Not so that you could turn back into slavery. Not so that you could make an opportunity for the flesh. So put it to death. Today's the day. 
Do business with God and with your heart. But not only is it vital to be ruthless about putting to death these things of the flesh, it's just as vital to be putting on the things of the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. Paul tells us in the last verse, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And, and earlier in our passage, he, he talked about leading and, and walking. Two different ideas. Leading is a, being led by the Spirit is a passive thing, but walking is an active thing. And they go hand in hand. You see, in verse 18, he calls us to be led by the Spirit. The Spirit is to be your guide to whom you give full submission to his sovereign leadership in your life. The Holy Spirit takes the initiative. He takes the lead. He empowers the whole deal. It's like, it's like a train engine. And you're one of the cars. That car doesn't go anywhere unless it's hooked to the locomotive. And then it goes wherever that locomotive pulls it. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. If you long to be transformed and to walk in newness of life. But it would be a huge mistake to suppose that all of the Christian life is just this passive, okay God I'm hooked to you, take me away. That's not it. He also says that you should be able, you should walk in the Spirit. You're to be active. You're to be pursuing what God wants you to do. Submit to His control and actively walk with Him. I had a friend um, many years ago who ran a marathon. I was enamored with the idea, I don't ever want to run a marathon, but I was enamored with the idea that somebody I knew did. Okay, and so we sat down, we were on vacation, I sat down around a pool, and I said, man, how was that? How was that experience? He's like, man, it was the greatest experience and the worst experience of my entire life. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, look, we show up, he had been training for months, we show up, and it's like a party. Music's playing, they got food, and everybody's happy all the workers are happy and he said they're happy because they're not running so they're excited to give you water and, and bless you and encourage you along the way and he said and then they line you up and they put the real serious guys in front the real runners and then I was kind of mid-pack and then you got the guys that just decided they had some running shoes in their car and they were going to show up and run this thing. And he said, we had this group of fraternity brothers that were behind us and they were just partying down. He said, I think they had a party the night before and they just showed up on a dare. And so they're hanging out, they're laughing, high-fiving each other, and the, and, the, and the race starts. He said, you know, I've been training and so I have my pace. I know exactly what I need to be doing. And so I'm running. And, you know, the guys in the front, you expect them just to tear off and they leave you way in the dust. You don't ever see them again. They're already at home by the time you finish. And so, but these fraternity guys were like, <laughs> he said, man, they were smoking. And I was tempted. He's like, I was ready. To, ah, I can't. So, so I kept running. He said, we got to the 18 mile mark. And those guys were on the side of the road dying he said now I was dying too 
And he said, and I was tempted beyond anything I've ever been tempted with to, to just quit. Just stop. This is ridiculous pain, and I don't know why I'm doing it. He said, but then I prayed this simple little prayer. God, you pick them up, I'll set them down. And I prayed it all the way to the finish line. God, you pick them up, I'll set them down. That has stuck with me for years. God, you pick them up, and I'll continue to set them down. God, you lead me. Spirit, move me to walk in step with you. Because when you walk in step with the Spirit, here's the thing, you're choosing one of two roads. The flesh or the Spirit. I want to walk with the Spirit. I want to be empowered by the Spirit. I want to be used by God. I want to be transformed by God. I want to, my life to be lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not this stupid flesh that I deal with. And this race is long. And it's hard. And it's arduous. And oftentimes life is just agony. And you just want to quit. I'm praying for you and me that the Spirit of God would direct our steps. That We would pray, you pick them up, God, and I'll set them down wherever you desire me to. You empower me to pick up my feet and you show me where to put my foot and I'm going to step there. No more of this funkiness. No more kicking out the side and arms flailing and being all goofy and wobbly. No, I want to be this. Straight up, straight down. In line with the Holy Spirit. No wasted motion. No wasted effort. A life that glorifies the one who came and died for me. This is the greatest news ever. You were dead in your sin. But God made you alive in Christ. And not only did He make you alive, He filled you with His Holy Spirit. That you might walk in newness of life. That you might run the race set before you. That you might beat your body into submission and make it your slave so that at the end of the day, you would not be disqualified. So today, what does it mean for you to repent of your sin and walk in the Spirit? What does it mean for you to leave your sin? If you're a follower of Christ... What areas are you picking back up or letting down off the cross that you need to nail there today? Say, no. No, 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 no. Today's the day. Some of you have never truly repented of your sin. You have no clue what it means to be free.
Today's the day. The Spirit of God is calling and Christ has died to set you free. But you have to repent, turn to Him, and believe that He will give you eternal life. That he will give you victory over the flesh. That he will give you victory over the judgment that awaits the flesh. The only way to inherit the kingdom of God is to be forgiven and loved and by the king. That's it. That's it. So as Daniel and the worship team comes, let me warn you of one thing. You have a battle going on right now. The Spirit of God is calling you to do certain things. But you also have a tempter who does not want any part of that. And he's saying, walk away. Walk away. And I'm begging you today to turn on him quickly. To give him a decisive and lethal blow. And to say, no more. No more. Christ is calling me and I will no longer be ruled by the flesh. And I will give it all up once again to Christ. Or maybe for the first time. I will call on the Spirit to lead me to righteousness. For He is my life my portion he's the one who communes with me and walks with me he's the one who empowers me so today there's nothing magical about down front but if you need to make a decision this is the place to do it step out Make this the day that you nail your flesh to the cross along with Christ. Turn from it and walk in newness of life. And if you want to talk to any of us, Larry's down front, I'll be down here if you need anything. Or if you just want to come down and pray and do business with the Lord, I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, King of all creation, King of the universe. We pray that the Holy Spirit would descend upon us and wean us from earth and all its pulses move and stoop to our weakness mighty as thou art and make us love you as we ought. Transform us. May love, joy, and peace mark our lives. And may the Spirit of God flow through us and in us. In this church. That you might use us.